Good morning, everyone. Welcome today to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we want to just, as always, thank you. We thank you for providing us with your word, and we learn from your word who we really were, and that the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and that you sent your Son, God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us, for our sins, and you raised him from the dead on the third day. Father, we thank you also for showing in your word the tremendous grace blessings that you have provided for us, including the ability here to gather with one another, to provide spiritual gifts for the members of the body of Christ, to provide the indwelling Holy Spirit in our hearts. And Father, today we would just ask that we would receive everything that you've prepared in the message for each one of us. And we pray, Father, that we live with, leave with a greater love for you and your Son. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, this morning we're going to get right into the message. We do have a couple of announcements. I guess just one. Um, and that is that, uh, once again, I want to remind everybody to please keep in prayer Pastor Kingsley Amaniki and as well as his ministry to West Africa. And please pray also that for the pastors that are there. Um, in sometimes really difficult circumstances that we have, would have a hard time understanding. In any event, um, they do a great job out there. They, have a, they, they battle a lot of things, not just the things about you know, food and clothing, but also some of the false teachings that's out there. You wouldn't believe. Well, I guess you would believe because they, they're here too. All right, let's begin now. The title of today's message comes from John chapter 1, verse 14. And it's, The Word Became Flesh. The Word became flesh. As a reminder, please continue to read the Gospel of John, start to finish. Try to read it once a month, at least for the next three weeks or so. Um, there's a reading plan. I think most of you know it. It's available um, if you go on our website and look at either the last week's message, the 14th or the week before the 7th. You'll find that reading plan. If you can't find it, there's 21 chapters in the book. Just do, my math's going to fail me, three, three chapters a day and you'll be done. So, anyway. All right. This morning we are going to finish what's called the prologue of the Gospel of John. It's the first 18 verses. All right, so today we are going to pick up, as we always do, from where we left off and finish. And now remember that this gospel, the main question that this gospel ultimately answers is this one. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the prologue, verses 1 to 18, reveals many things about the Word, including the fact that, and we'll see today, that the Word, God, the Son of God, became flesh human. It's an amazing miracle. That's why I love how this gospel starts. It it starts us with God in eternity past, and we get to contemplate him, the fact that that the word existed with him, that all things were created by by God through the word, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he's the light that enlightens every man. So we get this glorious picture first of who the son of God is, then we watch the story move into the next phase where now we're on the scene and there's darkness, right? The light shines in the darkness. And we're going to see today what that darkness, more about that. But then we realize God's answer when it says the light comes into the world 
Today we find it, we find it defined or, or illuminated. And, and that's what, that's the title of today's message. The word, the light became flesh, became one of us, became a human being with everything except the sinfulness in our bodies. So that's where we're headed today. It's a tremendous story. It's a tremendous, really, hymn. This is a hymn to the Lord, and we're going to see the second stanza today. The prologue reveals many things about the Word. In fact, as I mentioned already, we'll see today that God became human. We've seen seven of these already, of who Jesus is from the first ten verses, nine verses. We're going to complete this section today, and in so doing, we'll discover seven more things that are revealed about the Word here in these first 14 verses, 18 verses. I'm going to give you all 14, the seven we've already seen, the seven we'll see today. At the end, you're going to see all 14 of them. All right, let's begin in John chapter 1, verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9. This is where we left off last week. There was the true light, the real light, the ultimate light, the authentic light, the genuine light, the word, Jesus Christ, as we'll see today. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right, the privilege, to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, but not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him, cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten, God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Verses 10 to 18 form a second stanza, if you will, of this glorious hymn of the the word, which is in the prologue. Two stanzas, 1 to 9, 10 to 18. Now, what happens here in 10 to 18 is that there are themes, subjects, facts that are presented in the first nine verses. All right? then, then comes along the second stanza, and then they're developed more, given more definition in this second stanza from verses 10 to 18. But so I want you to think about those as two halves this morning. We've, been, we've seen one half. Now we're going to see the other half. And that first half, if you will, the first stanza, verses 1 to 9, are provocative. What does that mean? There are statements there that, are, that, make, that absorb us, that are curious, but also leave us wondering. They, they, they themselves spawn a whole series of questions. I want to show you some of them this morning, the main ones. 
we know that the darkness did not grasp the light from verse 5. What does that mean, though? What does it really mean? I, I understand darkness and light, but in the context of the word being the life and the light of the, of the word of the world, try to say that five times fast. As far as the light of the world is concerned, what was the darkness and why didn't it even grasp the light? I'm going to put some specifics on that. We see in verse 9 that the true light came into the world. Now remember the world here, as we saw last week, that represents the people, but the unbelievers, which is the large, overwhelming majority of the people on earth. That's the world. Not only the people themselves, but also the way they live, their ways. That's all the world's ways, is the world. Now, here's the question. We see in verse 9 that the light came into this world. The light came into this world, this world of darkness. This world was the un- unbelieving humans, right? That's why we're going to see this morning that the world didn't even know him. Why? Because unbelief kills any ability to know God. So what happened then? What happened when the light came into the world? The light is the word in verse 4. So how did this happen though? How did the light come into the world? We know that the light is the word, but how did that work? We see the word with God from all of eternity. We know that he's the light, but then how does that person who is God, who is the light, come into this world? How did that happen? happen? Question spawned by the first nine verses. We know that all things came into being through the word. That's in verse three. In other words, though, since the world is part of all things now, the world itself came into being through the word. Then the word came into the world. Now, let me ask you a question. How did that world react to the arrival of its creator? We know that the Lord created, the Word created. All things were made through Him. Then He comes into the world. What happened? How did the world respond to that? That, that act of the, of the Word that created everything coming into its creation, His creation. We, say in, we see in verse 4 that the Word was life and the light of men. Life. What, what is this life, though? What's the nature of this life that we see in verse 4? Who gets it? Who receives it? And how does that work? In verse 7, we see that John the Baptist testified about the light. But what did he testify? What was his testimony about the light? In verse 7, we see that the light enlightens every man in verse 9. But then the question comes up, about what? See, the light enlightening every man, that's a very general statement. Wouldn't we li- we'd like to see more detail on that. And again, all of these questions are answered in verses 10 to 18. And then in verses 1 and 2, it says that the Word was with God in the beginning, from all of eternity. And as a matter of fact, the Word was God. But who are these two people? When He came into the world, what did the Word reveal about God? What did he reveal about him? We have God in the heavens, the God of the Old Testament. There was certainly a lot revealed about him there. But when the light, the the word became flesh, now it's a new thing. It's a new way in which God reveals himself. Well, what did the word reveal about God? And again, verses 10 to 18 answer all of these questions. It's 
why I went through them today, to kind of get your thought process into, wait a minute, what if I had just read verses 1 to 9 and never knew or saw anything else? What questions would you have? And there are a whole bunch of them. And it turns out that they're answered in the second stanza of verses 10 to 18. Let's begin now in verse 10. Verse 10. He was in the world. The light that enlightens every man was in the world. And the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. I want you to think about the tragedy of that. Imagine, now, I'll give you at a human level, okay? Man and a woman get married and they have a child, right? And the child is, in a sense, was made, not, not totally, but made by the, by the union of the husband and the wife. Now, what would it be like if those parents, this child, never recognized that, the parents, never understood who they were, never had any affection for them? It'd be horrible. Yet that's what happened. This whole dark world with unbelieving human beings was so estranged, pushed away the enemy of God that they didn't recognize him when he came, even though he created them. Even though he created them. So that's the situation about what happened when the word came into the world. The darkness did not comprehend the light. Now remember, the darkness represents the world. It's the human race in rebellion against God. And when that happens, it becomes a darkness, a dark, dark place. Why? Well, because the word is the light of the world. When it's in rebellion against God, that's darkness. It's the darkness, as we saw last week, of sin and the darkness of ignorance, unbelief. Even though the light created all things, the word created everything. Because that world was in the darkness of ignorance and unbelief, it did not recognize. The world did not recognize its own creator when he came. Now, we live today after the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and and declared the glory of God. And yet, even today, after that has happened, documented in God's word, preached by the church, even today, this is true. Perhaps more than ever The world doesn't even recognize its own creator. Doesn't even recognize it. Doesn't even believe he exists in many cases. Or if he does exist, no interest in finding out anything about him. That's our world today. Nothing's changed, really, in terms of unbelieving people. In every generation, they're pretty much the same. All right. Then in verse 11 now, he came. Now, when he came, he came into the world. But here's a more particular statement. He came specifically to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. Well, who are his own? Well, his own were the Jewish people. And that's who he came to. He lived his entire life in in the Jewish world, in in Galilee, in in Judea. He came, and he he would say, in other Gospels anyway, that he he didn't come for the Gentiles. He came for the Jews. He was their promised Messiah. He, he came, even now, the gospel, as Paul would write, goes to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. He was, his desire was that, that his people would recognize him as their king and he could bring them to the kingdom. All right? And yet, they didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. 
They, they didn't welcome him. They did not rejoice in his coming at all. I think about Herod when the news came from the Magi that there was this king born in Bethlehem. And the only response of Herod and all his people in Jerusalem was horror, fear, hatred. That's emblematic of how the Jewish people, by and large, responded when the Lord Jesus Christ came for them. God in the flesh. All but a small number, because there were a small number, who did receive him. Who did, but we know that because we see them. They're, they're well explained and highlighted, thank God, in the Gospels, even here in the Gospel of John, perhaps particularly here. His disciples, all but one, did not reject him, but rather received him, for example. Martha and Mary and Lazarus, for example. So many of the people that, that were, had either themselves were handicapped or desperate or blind, they received him. Their family members received him. The woman at the well, the Samarian woman at Sychar, received him from the very beginning when it was just a human exchange. Hey, I'll get you some water. All the way to recognizing that he's the Messiah and then excitedly going back to her own town and telling of him. And then the town comes out and then they invite him and they spend two days with him and they all believe that he is who he says he is. Now that's welcoming the the God in the flesh, the word of God, the creator. But most didn't. As a matter of fact, the Jewish establishment, the large majority of the people ultimately demanded that he be executed. That is the opposite of being welcomed, of being received. Think about it. You come to your people with the greatest news, and instead of welcoming you, they they want you dead. They want you dead. That's a rejection, a complete, almost complete, except for who we call the remnant. The remnant, we see, we've seen it now in the book of Isaiah already, that there, in every generation there is a small minority of Jewish people who believe in the Lord. It's been true all the way throughout the history of the nation of Israel. It's true when Christ came. It's true today. It'll always be true. Why? Because the Lord has promises for the house of David. So there have to be members of the house of David, members of of the Jewish race, so that when the Lord comes back, he will have the people that were promised these things be there. So it's really, that's why he would say, for my own sake, for my own sake I'm doing this. Because this is my plan. My my plan was was the Jewish people, from them would come the Savior of the world, and that, and that the promises that he made to the founder, the first member of the Hebrews, Abraham, and then all of his descendants, culminating with the greatest king in the Old Testament, David, and the promises that the Lord gave David, all of that rests on the shoulders of the remnant. And they did produce in the flesh, God in the flesh. And then, then most of them rejected him. But then in every generation, some did not. The early church was primarily Jewish. If you look at the book, a book of Acts, yes, in the first nine chapters or so, totally Jewish. Peter, James, and John were the, were the leaders. They were the apostles to the Jews. They were in Jerusalem. And early on, that was, the, that was the church. But then, of course, Paul comes on the scene. And he goes out into the Gentile world. But even then, even then, he would go to the Jews first. That was the remnant. 
But most, the leaders, the establishment, they wanted him dead. Look at John chapter 19, verse 14. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and those who were his own did not receive him. Quite the opposite. Look at John chapter 19, verse 14. John 19. Let's see, ultimately, how they responded, his own people, when he came. When he not only came, as we know, he also produced signs. What were those? Miracles that pointed to the meaning of who he is and who the Father is. And still, this happened to him by the Jewish people. All right, John nineteen fourteen. He said to the Jews, now this isn't everybody, okay? This is, by the way, Pilate, all right? And he's out there, and he realizes Jesus is innocent, and he wants desperately to find a way to release him, but the Jewish leaders won't let him. They put amazing pressure on him. Now, he still should have stood up for what he knew was true, but he ultimately didn't. But notice their response, the Jewish leaders. Now, I want to emphasize these are the leaders. These are not all the people. All right, I say that because, unfortunately, in the history of the church, these passages in the Gospel of John have been used as a means of anti-Semitism in the Christian nations. So I want to make sure you understand this is not all the people. This is the leadership primarily that did this. He said to the Jews, the leaders of the people, Behold your king. So they cried out, Welcome to the king. Hosanna. No, that was not at all the leadership's response to Pilate saying, Here's your king. So they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. They did not, in any respect, receive him. In the word was life, and the life is the light of men. Okay, what's the nature of this life? I mean, it it certainly probably would include the fact of human life, natural existence, right? Living, breathing people physically who will die, that life. But when when you understand that what he was saying was that because the word comes into the world, there's another life. And the question is, what's the nature of that life? Look at John chapter, go back to John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. The word, in in the word was life. What's the nature of that life? And also, who receives it? Does everybody? Is Is it true what the world says, that we're all God's children? Is that true? Is that what the Bible says? Let's see. John 1.12, but as many as received him. In other words, the overwhelming majority of the people in the world, the overwhelming majority of the Jewish people did not do this. But some, the remnant, did. And those people, as many as received him, welcomed him, believed in him, like Peter and Martha and Mary and so many of the others that we are introduced to in the Gospels. They did receive him. They did believe in him. What happened to them and them only, he gave the right, all right, the privilege, the open door, as it were, to become children of God. That is the life. Children of God. If you think about it, human beings receive life from their parents. Okay? That's the way it works naturally. Well, guess what? That's the way it works spiritually. 
that they receive eternal life by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who believe in his name, what happens? Well, they become the children of God. In order to become the children of God, something has to happen. Those who believe in his name, this is the life. It's God's life. It's eternal life. That's what we call it. And John will talk about eternal, well, Jesus will talk about it um, through the, the writings of John many times in this gospel. In any event, then the question is, well, how does that work? How does someone receive eternal life? Well, we see the answer. We just read it by becoming children of God. That something happens when we believe in Christ and we become, we weren't, we became children of God. That's the life. That's what happens to all those who believe. So how do you do that? How does any child become a child of somebody? It's a matter of what? Birth, right? It's a birth. Well, if our natural life comes from our physical human birth, in the womb of our mother. Now, what about this life? What about eternal life? Well, it also comes from a birth. It's a new birth. It's not the same as physical birth. Physical, physical birth, physical descent has nothing to do with becoming a child of God. The Jews made a big deal of the fact that they were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they thought that that was their ticket to relationship with God. It wasn't. It was becoming the, of the faith of Abraham that did it. That's why he says, who were born in verse 13, not of blood. That just means, and this, by the way, is plural, not of bloods, not of your descendants, not who your mother is, not who your father is, nor of the will of the flesh. That has to do, by the way, with procreation, right? The will of the flesh, the desire of the flesh. That is not how anybody becomes a child of God. And then further, furthermore, nor of the will of man. This isn't something that a man or a woman says, I will become a child of God. No, that doesn't matter. Or my child, I want my child to be a child of God, and therefore because I will it, my decision, it happens. No, that's not how it works at all. God's children must be born of God. That's what it says in verse 13, who were born. They were born, but this isn't physical birth. How do we know that? Not of bloods. Not of, not of the, our mother, who our mother and father is. Not of the lust or the will of the flesh. Not by physical procreation, nor of the will of man. What man decides has nothing to do with it. But of God. A God's child must be born of God. There's a new birth. There's a spiritual birth. This we will see as we go forward, not too far forward in the Gospel of John. We'll see the Lord Jesus has Nicodemus, a leader of the people, come to him by night. And he tells them, you must be born again. And then Nicodemus goes through this whole thing where, wait a minute, I have to go back in my mother's womb. He didn't understand, right? He was talking, he says, of, of water and the spirit. You see, of water, that's physical birth, the amniotic fluid of the mother's womb, and of the spirit. A, a second, a new birth, a spiritual birth. Who receives that spiritual birth? Those who believe in his name. It's really simple. It's really laid out. I don't know how anybody can miss it. All right. Now, we know that the light, the word, came into the world, but remember the question is how. This is the pivot point 
is the, by the way, is a pivotal point in this prologue. It all builds to this. It all, we have the word who has gone from all of eternity. We find out that he has the life and that the, that the life is the light of the world, that the light shone in the darkness, that the light came into the world and enlightened every man. And the question is, how? How did God come into this world? That's the question. And John 1.14 answers it. In the word, God's son became flesh. Now again, we, we know this, most of us, right? I don't know if everybody does. I'm excited for anybody who didn't, because now you see this amazing story unravel right before your eyes. You see, the word, God, in, is now in the flesh. This was amazing. It was, as, think about it from the Jewish experience. Yeah, they knew Moses went up to the top of Mount Sinai, and something happened with the Lord. They know that when, the, when they were in the tabernacle, there were signs that the Lord was there, like the cloud and the fire. And they knew that when they built the temple in, in the Holy of Holies, they knew that's where God rested, came, had, com, had communion, had relationship with the people. But wait a minute, now this is saying that God became, became flesh, became a human being. That's incredible, especially from what we've just seen, that the human beings rejected him, that the world was dark. This wasn't a place he was coming to where everything was going to work out fine, but he came anyway. God humiliated himself, if I could put it that way, by becoming a human being while remaining God. That's the word become flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, this is the pivotal point. It's the pivotal point in verses 1 to 18 where things really come alive for our understanding. But it's also, by the way, the pivotal point of the gospel itself, of the gospel of John. And not only that, it's the pivotal point of human history. And in fact, I could add to that and say it's the pivotal point of God's dealings with men, of the whole, the whole plan that he laid out. It all rests on this fact that God, his son, became flesh, became a human while remaining God, with the human in every way but sin, and therefore he could die. See, the wages of sin is death. Well, God in heaven, who is life, is not going to die. Thank God. But a human being does die. And so that what was required was a sacrifice. Without, this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Well, God who is spirit, who you can't see, who is infinite, immortal, doesn't bleed. Only a human does. And yet it has to be a special kind of human. Because if you and I were to die, it wouldn't matter as far as the forgiveness of sins. But if God became human and he died, wow, that was God's solution. That was, as it were, his secret weapon. To the fact that he loved human beings, but human beings made it impossible for him to have a relationship with. Because his righteousness and his holiness had to be satisfied because of the rebellion, because of the enemyship. And nothing could make that happen except the death of God's son in the flesh. So God said, let's do it. That's what we're going to do. It cost him everything, but he did it anyway. 
That is what I mean by it's even worse now that the world doesn't accept him. Now that he's revealed himself to be the solution to the big problems of the biggest possible problem of the human race. Nobody can be on this planet more than 10 years or so without realizing there's something basically fundamentally wrong about the human race. By the time time you're old enough to watch the news or read a newspaper, you got it. By the time you have any kind of self-awareness, you got it. You can fool some of the people all the time, but you can't fool yourself. Well, you can, but not completely. You realize there's something wrong with you. You may not admit it. You may not want to look at it. You may want to stay in the darkness about it, but you know it's true. And therefore, this, this one, this God in the flesh came, died, was raised from the dead, and still the world does not receive him. Can you see how, a, how an overwhelming indictment that is of the human race who doesn't believe? That's what Paul will do, by the way. If you want to see the court case against the human race, read Romans chapter 118 through chapter 3, verse 20. And you'll find out, as he says, there is none righteous, not even one. That's the wickedness, the depravity, the rebellion of the human race. All right. The Word became flesh. Now the Word, this is why it's so wonderful that we start, God starts where he does in the Gospel of John. The Word, the Word who was God, who was with God. The Word who became, became, is life, has life, the light of the world. Enlightens every man. That glorious person now, always God becomes human. Now I want to caution you here. Okay, you see, well, first of all, the flesh here, you know, the word became flesh. A lot of times in the Bible, we have the word flesh. It has to do with the fact that there's sin indwelling in our bodies. There's that word is used for that an awful lot. Not here, obviously, because that would mean that Jesus became a sinner. No, he didn't. So it's not the fact that, that, that the flesh meaning sinful, but rather simply human. Human in the sense of a created being, right, without limitations and our weaknesses. Not sinful weaknesses, but just our human weakness, right? We can't do all the things we would like to do, all right? We have limitations. We can't, we can't go too long without sleep. We can't go too long without water or food or companionship. Our body is, gets injured easily. We have dozens and dozens of ways to be in pain. By the way, please keep Mark Pomeroy in prayer about that. So, we, so the human being, human, humanity has all of those limitations. That's who the Son of God became. Became while remaining the Son of God. The Creator became the created also. Also. Now, you know, over, over time, over the history of the church, from the very beginning, there were all kinds of lies about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that because, well, that makes perfect sense when you think about it. If Satan wants to blind the unbelieving, what's the first thing he wants to do? He wants them to have lies, believe that they believe lies about Jesus Christ. Okay, there's, there's all kinds of them out there. He's not God, but also he's not human. Early on, 
That was what they were saying. They were peddling the lie. He's not really human. You see, he's God. And he kind of had, he kind of came disguised. The covering looked like flesh, but it wasn't really. It was just a covering. Wrong. Wrong. That's not what it means by the word became flesh. It wasn't a disguise. It wasn't a covering. How do we know that? Because he was born. When you're, when you're born, you just don't have a disguise or a covering. You are a human being. That's what we mean by the word became flesh. Minus the sinful part. Because all of us, when we're born of a woman, that includes our sinfulness. It was a miraculous birth, of course. Had, it had to be when you think about it. But God decided that his son would be born of a woman by the power of God and by the Holy Spirit. And that was a direct relationship. There was no man in the picture. A lot of women are saying, hallelujah. But in any event, there was no man. All right? There was no human father. Miraculous. That was the way it had to be, which I don't want to get into right now. But also, what a marvelous way. Again, a sign from heaven that this baby's no ordinary baby. He's born of a virgin. Another, by the way, ultimate indictment of the people that would reject him. When, when has that happened before or since? Never. All right. Although I will say things are getting weird. All right. And I say that because, you know, science, it can do all kinds of things. Most of them they have no clue about the consequences of. But that's a whole other thing. I don't even know why I brought it up. But it's true. All right. So we have God from all of eternity. He was born into the human race. Never stop being God. This is the ultimate mystery. The ultimate thing, again, you know how we could not ever wrap our our minds around the fact that God was God and was with God. Like God, one God, now there's two and yet one. It's impossible really for our minds to grasp. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to believe it. God's word, right? Believe means take God at his word. It's so simple. Same thing here. We're never really going to get our arms around the fact that God is in the flesh, that God is also human. Don't even try. There's so many people that have tried to, you know, theorize it, and this is why there wasn't a father, and forget about it. Okay, just take it at God at his word, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God from all of eternity, by birth of the woman, he also became a man. And from that point on, from the virgin birth all the way to today and all the way forever, that's who he'll be. It's not as if God came down and took on a human body for 33 years and said, great, I did it. I'm going back to being God only. That didn't happen. We know that, for example, by the fact that when Jesus was done and was going back to the Father, he ascended in a body, a resurrection body. That'll be him for all of eternity. He will be God and a perfect human together for all of eternity. Amazing. That gives you a statement of how much God loves the world. That he would have his son fundamentally issue, as it were, change his nature. And, you know, and be human as well as God for all of eternity. The angels are marveling about that. We may take it for granted. The human race may reject it. But the angels are like stunned every time they look at him. Wow. How could God, the creator, also be the the created one? The angels are marveling at that. We should too. 
from God. He always will be that. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 3. Romans chapter 1, verse 3. Paul begins what I would say would be his greatest book in terms of great in terms of describing who we are as Christians, describing the grace of God. Look how he begins it in verse 3. Romans chapter 1, verse 3. Concerning his son, God's son, notice, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh. The word the Son of God became flesh because he was born. See, we become the children of God by being born again. Jesus, or the Word, became flesh by another birth. By God in the, in the, being born of a woman, can't understand that. But there's another birth there. Notice, who was born of a descendant of David, as he had to be, according to the flesh, according to his humanity, But then look at verse 4, who was declared. I want you to notice something right here, because people get confused about verse 4. Does it say who became the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead? Is that what it says? Who who became the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead? In other words, the, the resurrection of the dead, was that the moment in which Jesus became God? Of course not. But people want to twist the scriptures to say that. No, the word is declared. Declared to everybody in in an undeniable way who he always was. Declared the Son of God who he always was with power by the resurrection from the dead. According to the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. From that point on, he was both God and man. All right, let's return to John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh. Notice the next part. And dwelt among us. Now this is telling us, he didn't just become flesh in a flash and say, look, I'm God in the flesh. He spent 33 years on earth as God in the flesh. And by the way, not in a resurrection body, not in miraculous flesh, but in normal human flesh. He got tired. He didn't have a place to live. He was thirsty. <coughs> he was sad. <coughs> Third, 33 years. <coughs> Dwelt among us. By the way, this us, some people want to say, oh, it's all of us. But I want you to think common sense. Is Jesus, God in the flesh, dwelling with us now? Is he here hanging out with us now? Of course not. So who's the us? I'll tell you who the us is. The 12 disciples. That's who the us is. That's who he dwelt with. And notice the next part. And we saw his glory. You see, the people who saw the glory of God in the flesh, the humanity with God together, who saw that literally with their eyes? Well, that was the 12 disciples. Others too. But I'm going to show you something. And that is that you can see him, you can see his miracles. But if you don't believe, you'll never see the glory in him. They did. All right. Dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father. Again, the us and the we refer to the 12 disciples. 
And by the way, in another form, Jesus would see him. But Jesus would not see him the way that the apostles, the disciples. I use the word disciple because that's what's used in the Gospel of John. But they're the twelve. All, right? all but one of them believed. All but one of them, therefore, saw the glory, by the way. I should probably say the eleven. Because um, Judas never really believed, never saw, saw it, understood it, recognized it, was blown away by the glory of Christ. If he had, he never would have done what he did in terms of betraying him. The us and the we refer to the twelve. Maybe the eleven is better. I think I'm going to change my notes right now. Give me a moment. Play some music. I think the eleven is better here. Now, they were with him from the very start of his, of his ministry. See, we're going to see this. When, when we go through this gospel, we're going to see, as I've mentioned already, seven times when Jesus Christ performed the miracle. And yet he called them a sign. And remember, we saw a sign is more than a miracle. It's a miracle that points to the meaning that's beyond just what's happening. All right? So... Though the ones who were with him saw all those miracles, right? I mean, the first one in Cana, his disciples were with him. That's no accident. They were the ones that saw all his glory from start to finish. By the way, the greatest sign of his glory, which we won't get into now, is dying on the cross. Now, I want you to think about it. How many people saw Jesus dying on the cross? Quite a few. How many of them saw the glory of God in Jesus dying from the, from, at the cross? Not too many. Not too many. All right. So, he pitched his tent, right? He dwelt among us. That means he literally pitched his tent. Okay? In other words, he stayed. He lived with them. We saw his glory in all kind of ways. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. They saw his glory. But it's a glory far beyond. Now, in the Old Testament... Moses saw something about, the, something about the glory of God, right? But Moses, when he went up there, he couldn't look on the Lord. And when he asked, show me your glory, he said, you better turn your back, okay? And I'm going to go past you. And you're going to see like a little thing trailing behind me. And that will be the best you'll see about my glory. He never came out and said, hey, I'm with you. And not only that, but I'm God in the flesh. Now you can really see my glory. You see, that's the difference between God in the flesh and and how God was related to the people, the Jewish people in the Old Testament. But these 11 saw his glory. When the word became flesh, the glory of God shined forth in a totally new and amazing way from a man. From a man. You see, now we can, as it were, relate to that. But at the same time, if you think about it, it, on the one hand, yes, it's a human. We can relate to him. But on the other hand, it's the, the very fact that he's God in the flesh is a walking miracle, if I could put it that way. It's got all the glory you could ever want to imagine that God became human. But of course, much, they saw much more than that. Now, I mentioned this already, but one of the things that revealed his glory were the signs, the signs that he performed. And I want to tell you this, many saw miracles. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that there were all kinds of people, for example, mourning Lazarus's death. They were there to Many of them were there to console the sisters, Martha and Mary. 
But it's real interesting. We won't go into this. I'll just show you one passage from that whole story. But the fact of the matter is, the story, as the story ends, Jesus Christ, of course, raised Lazarus from the dead, brought him back from the dead, even though he'd been in the grave for four days. It was already starting to decompose, by the way. That's the significance of the four days. And he brought him back to life. Now, there were a whole bunch of Jewish people there, there mourning, and they all saw it. But amazingly enough, they broke into two camps. One camp worshipped him. The other camp ran to the high priests to tell them what happened so that they could finally realize, we need to get rid of this guy. What am I saying? They all saw the miracle. They didn't all see the glory. They didn't understand the meaning of what they were seeing. Please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 40. John, chapter 11, verse 40. What's the key to seeing the glory in a miracle? John chapter 11, verse 40. Jesus said to her, now here her is Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who is still in the tomb for four days. He said to Martha, did I not say to you that, here are the key words, if you believe You will see the glory of God. Now, some take this to mean that if if somehow she didn't believe, Jesus wouldn't have raised Lazarus from the dead. That's nonsense. He did it, by the way, for the glory of God. No, what's being said here is that you're going to see a miracle today, but if you believe who I am, God in the flesh, the Son of God, the life, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection. If you see that part in what I do, now you'll see the glory of God. Back in verse 14 of chapter 1. Back in verse 14 of chapter 1. I'll give you a second to get back there. I know you're traveling a long, long way between chapter 11 and chapter 1, so... I'll give you like 10 minutes, and I'm just teasing. John 1.14. Here we are. And the Word became flesh. We've seen that. Dwelt among us. We see what that meant. And we saw His glory. We've seen a little bit about that. But now, we're gonna, He's going to describe this glory in another way. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, what's this doing? It's expressing what it meant to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. What did it mean? How was there glory? Because he was the only begotten from the Father. We're going to see what that means, best we can. And that he, he was the fulfillment, the full, total what? Grace and truth from God. Glory as of the only begotten. From the Father. What is only begotten? Well, it means one and only. <laughs> one of a kind. Unique. But the word actually means unique in its origin. Its origins. What made the Lord Jesus Christ the unique person he was, is, were his origins. Now, he had two. This is where the glory is. What do you mean he had two origins? Well, very simple. His origin as God, 
It never really had an origin. We say in the beginning sounds like an origin. But as we've seen, it really isn't because he was God from eternity past. There's that. That's a miracle enough. That's glory in its own. But then he had another origin. His humanity from the virgin birth. That's what made him unique. That's what made him one of a kind. He was God from eternity past. He was a man by the virgin birth. He was the unique one. He was one of a kind. He was the word become flesh. And we see what happened. We see that this unique person, God in the flesh, it says here he revealed God's glory to the fullest. To the fullest. Revealed it. And we see how. What, what was it that was revealed in particular that John points out? And of course, it's the fullness. In other words, full of grace and truth doesn't just mean full. It kind of says, well, he had a lot of grace and truth. It doesn't mean that. It means the total fullness of these things. The surpassing grace of God. That's what Jesus Christ came and became and showed us. The surpassing grace of God. Read about Romans Romans 5 and 6 if you want to understand the surpassing grace. Why? Because there was grace in the Old Testament. There really was. I mean, if it's unmerited favor, which is what it is, you've got to believe that that happened a lot with the nation of Israel. By all rights, the, the Lord should have destroyed them in the, in the wilderness. There are many times when that's, that was like, well, of course you're going to get rid of them. Now, look what they did. And yet, he, had, he, he showed them grace. Meaning what? He blessed them anyway. So it's not as if grace wasn't ever understood in the Old Testament. But when Jesus came, God in the flesh, now opened up the surpassing grace of God. Above anything you can see or imagine grace of God. That's the fullness that we're talking about. And truth. There was truth revealed in the Old Testament. Of course there was. But Jesus came and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. In other words, the whole revealed truth in one person. All the mysteries in one person. That's what it means by fullness of truth. So I want you to understand that that's what was the glory that they saw. The surpassing grace of God, the whole revealed truth in Christ. John testified about him. We saw that earlier. But again, the question we came to today was, what was his testimony? And we see that in John chapter 1.15. John testified about him. And it's like, yeah, we knew that. But now, what did he, how, what did he say? He cried out. Saying, now he cried this out to the Jewish people. John came and baptizing so that he would manifest Israel, to Israel Jesus, okay, as who he is. He, John testified about Jesus Christ and he cried out. He said, this was he of whom I said. I said this. This was his testimony. He who comes after me. John led the way. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. Make way for the Lord. Make a path for the Lord. He came first in terms of chronological, in terms of ministries. He was there and then Jesus came behind him. But he's saying, don't, don't think that I'm better because I came first. He says, no, you don't understand. He says, yes, he came after me, but he has a higher rank than I. Now, John was great. All right. Jesus is going to say about him, among all men born of women, John's the greatest but the, the, he was in the least in the kingdom of heaven, greater than John. John was, was called especially by God 
for an incredible, incredible duty, which was to make way the way of the Lord. And yet, the one coming as a higher rank. Why? For he existed before me. That doesn't mean he was born like, and he was born like nine. No, he was born. No, Jesus was born after. What am I talking about? He was born after John too. No, what does it mean that he exists? Well, Jesus is going to say it another way. He's going to say, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, John is testifying to his deity. He existed before me. Verse 16. Not only did the disciples witness this fullness, this glory of grace and truth. Once they witnessed it, something else was going on. They received this fullness. I mean, it's one thing. Hey, here's Jesus in the flesh. Wow, look at the glory of God. The the, the surpassing grace, all the truth. And then we find out, guess what? They also received it. In other words, it just didn't, just as it were, a matter of speaking, stay with the Lord. It then poured out His grace, the truth. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I am the way and the truth and the life. Right? He gave us the truth, the full truth, the completed truth. That's what the New Testament scriptures give us. All right. For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. By the way, that was, in a sense, that was a gift, although it didn't turn out that way because it became a bondage. So therefore, something else had to happen, right? Here it is again. Grace and truth were realized through. I want to stop there. Because I hope you realize that all the way from verse 1 through verse 16, it's talking about the word, the light. Now, for us, I'm sure at the very beginning, we, we kind of clicked already and we knew, well, that's Jesus. That's why I want you to think about this from the point of view of somebody who's never read anything in the Bible except the Gospel of John. And they just started. The biggest question of all had to be, God, the Word became flesh. Wait a minute. He became a human. Who? Who are we talking about here? And that's the importance of verse 17, one of the importances. Grace and truth... Which was, which, which was seen in all its fullness in Christ, which he gave. Well, he just gave you the answer. But who is this word? Through Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand what's just happened. We've made, now made the connection that really counts for this gospel, which is who's Jesus? Well, you can go back and see all the things that have already been said about the word and the light. That's Jesus. That's the significance of verse 17. In other words, verse 17 names the person. It's one particular person. He's, he's histor- he was a historical person. He was seen. As the first John 1 will say, he was, we touched him, we saw him, we heard from him. Person. Real person in history. What's his name? Jesus Christ. The person who was God in the flesh is Jesus Christ. Now again, we know that. But you've got to understand something. He came so that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, how are they going to believe that? Well, in our day and age, ever since the first generation who saw him, the way they believe is by hearing about him. And how, where are these words that they are to hear? Gospels, first of all. 
So they should, by that point, be blown away and saying, like Thomas said, my Lord and my God. We're not even out of the prologue. And you can see how everything is designed for the person to come to that realization. Jesus Christ. In other words, everything that's said about the word is also true about Jesus Christ. Everything. So while we said, what does it tell us about the word earlier on? Not today. We're going to complete the list and then say what it really is. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. You might want to note these things for some of your unbeliever friends so they can get the information that they need here. All right. Verse 17, again, names this person, Jesus. Everything that is said about the word in this prologue is also true about Jesus Christ. The word was with God. Jesus Christ is always with the Father. He's in the bosom of the Father, as it says here. He shares the closest possible intimacy. Notice verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. God in his eternal essence, his immortality and his all-knowing and all of that. The only begotten. There should be a comma there. The only begotten. The one who is unique in origins. God in the flesh. The only begotten, comma, God who is in the bosom of the Father. Now that's intimate. The bosom of the Father. He has explained him. The bosom of the Father. Literally, get the picture of John at the Last Supper with the Lord, reclining on his bosom. You know that picture? Here's somebody and there's somebody reclining around. That's about it. That shows intimacy, closeness. That's why Peter went to John and says, you ask him. Why? Because you got that intimate relationship with him. All right. That's what it means about the bosom. That's what it's talking about. And then it says, finally, he has explained him. He, Jesus Christ, has explained, revealed God. In other words, he has made his father fully and completely known. Amazing. Again, there were some things about the Lord, obviously, that were revealed. Many wonderful things in the Psalms and many other places in the Old Testament. But it's in the New Testament where we find out that he's the father. And all the things that come with that. Okay? And that he has the son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And we're going to learn all kinds of things if we pay any attention at all in this gospel. Not only about who Jesus is, but who his father is. He made his father fully and completely known. And he'd say over and over again, nothing comes from me. It all comes to the father. I came to glorify the father. Made him fully known. Again, so much so that in John 14, 9, I don't have time to go there. He says, he was seeing me has seen the Father. Mm. No one has seen God at any time, but he who has seen Christ, who you can see, has actually really seen the Father, even though the Father is beyond seeing. Jesus Christ, God's Son, is the radiance of the glory of God. He exactly represents the nature of God. So who is Jesus? That's the question we started out with. Here we go. Jesus has always existed. Jesus always is with God, his Father. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of all things. Jesus is the source of life. The word, Jesus, is also the light of men. Jesus, the word made flesh 
came into this world. <laughs> but the world didn't recognize him. There's that tragedy that we, we relate to because it happens every day when we talk about the Lord, right? The world didn't recognize him. His own people did not receive him. That's Jesus too, his own people. But to those who believe Jesus, his person, his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That's Jesus also. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Gives them the right, the privilege to become the children of God. That's Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. The word who became flesh is Jesus. He dealt among the the, the disciples when he was here for 33 years. Therefore, Jesus is the unique son of God. He's the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. That's Jesus. Or very simply, put it this way. Give you a moment to get that down. That's a lot. Jesus Christ is the word. That's the simplest way to put it. Jesus Christ is the word and all that comes with it. Okay, but finally, and this is beyond words, really, he's the very embodiment. I chose that word intentionally. He's the very embodiment of the glory of God. Right? In the, in the book of Colossians, it's going to talk about the fullness of deity dwells in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he is, finally and ultimately. Let me go through that one other time, one more time, because I know you guys, some of you guys were copying it down. You may have missed a little bit, so I'll just go through it one more time. Who is Jesus? He's always existed. He always is with God. He is God. Who is Jesus? The creator of all things. Who is Jesus? The source of life. All of it. Eternal life, ultimately. He's the source of life. Who is Jesus? He's the light of men. He would say that. I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of men. He is the light that enlightens every man. Although every man doesn't receive it, as we saw last week and we saw today. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the God who came into the world. That's who he is. Who is Jesus? He's one that the world didn't even recognize when he came, even though he was their creator. Didn't recognize him. His own people rejected him. Who? Jesus. They reject- I'm saying the name Jesus on purpose right here. Okay? His full identity is the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're putting it together. And the, the thing, the remarkable thing that we want to emphasize here is that that historical person named Jesus is all of these things. His own people, Jewish people, didn't receive him. To those who believe in the name of Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God. He gives the right to become children of God. Who is Jesus? He is the Word, God, the Son of God, who became flesh, human. We sometimes say undiminished deity and perfect humanity in one person forever. The Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us as the Word. 
Jesus, therefore, is the unique Son of God in the fullness of all grace and of all truth. That's Jesus also. Who is Jesus? He is the Word. From when you read the Word, you know that's Jesus now. Go back and read it. You'll see all those things. That's Jesus that's being talked about. If you want to know when Jesus comes back, he's going to, be, he's going to have the Word of God emblazoned for everyone to see. That's who he is, the Word of God. And finally, Jesus is the embodiment of the glory of God. That's the significance. That's why he came, ultimately, to glorify his Father. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, wow, we are in awe of you and your Son today. We know that you've chosen to reveal all this about you and your Son, and we know we're just starting because it's gonna, we're going to see it in its fullness as we proceed through this great gospel. Help us to have those eyes that hear, that see, and the ears that hear through faith as we proceed. And help us also, Father, to understand that this was written for those who do not yet believe, so that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, they too would have that life in his name. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, reminders. Keep reading the Gospel of John. I can't emphasize that enough. This among all books, really, because of the amazing way it's put together and how things add on and then things are repeated and come in in waves. Okay, read it, read it, read it. Every Thursday, this Thursday, we'll have Bible study at 6.30 on Skype. We have a weekly prayer meeting at the end. I repeat this because I want to make sure you all understand that we are praying. Praying, praying, praying. There's more than ever things that we, we have been um, alerted to, as a word to be praying for. I hope you're praying every day. And um, not, I'm not putting a burden or a task on. I'm just believing. The greatest blessing of all comes to we who pray. All right? Who get to see the hand of God at work? Who get to have the intimacy and be considering more and more the greatness of the Father? All right? Keep praying. And uh, we've all, I've already mentioned the gospel, but one more time. Gospel. We were all born in sin. We are all dead in our trespasses and sins as unbelievers. But God sent his son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And he was buried after he died. We're going to see this in the Gospel of John. And then, Father, you raised him from the dead. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. All of that is, is said so that you may believe in him. That you may believe That Jesus is who he says he is. And by believing, you will have eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Father, we just want to again ask for your help as we leave today and all the things that are in our hearts, all the things, the challenges that we're going to face this week, Father. Help us to know that we, as we start our day and we look to you, we know that you have a throne of grace and mercy that we can come to any time. Help us to realize the power of your word, the power of the Spirit. We ask all this again in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.